Hey everyone, and welcome to this episode of Co-Creating with AI. I'm Martin, and with me is Rasmus. How are you today, Rasmus? Pretty good. A little bit uh, tired. We have been, uh, you know, too active a weekend. I think we need to respect uh, the weekend as rest time a little bit more. But uh, pretty good. Uh, excited to chat today. How are you? I'm good. We had the uh, we had the first snow today. I've been. I took a drive, and it, it was, it's really beautiful. The landscape now went with a bit of snow on top, and uh, yeah, and energized for the day. Great. So um, today, right? What do you What do you want to talk about? Uh, I think we should talk about uh, how to deal as an entrepreneur how to deal with the the fast paced nature of the AI industry. How do you relate to that, and, and what strategies work when everything is moving so fast that you can't stand still? Yeah, I mean, we touched upon that last week a little bit, right? Uh, in terms of you know all the releases from OpenAI. And all the companies they potentially, you know, let's see, maybe we were a bit pessimistic, but like all the companies they, they potentially rug pull and make irrelevant. Yeah. And uh, also learnings. I think I shared a couple of learnings from Multiply, uh, things we've spent time on that maybe aren't, you know, as relevant now. So I think the first like general principle is, uh, you know, you, you can't just focus on now when building. Uh, AI-powered products, yeah, because things are moving so fast. You need to have a view of the future of where the kind of infrastructure layer is moving. You know what capabilities are likely to just be handed to you because if you try to build them yourself, you're essentially competing with OpenAI, etc., which mm. is a, a tough ask <laughs> to do, uh, yeah. I'd say. Uh, so I think that's just my general view: is like you need to look at the future. And at the same time, of course, as an entrepreneur, most things are about now, right? Your customers, their problems, solving them, mm. uh, taking that one step at a time, you know, not being um, lost in the future. But now you really need to have like a view of, I think, especially what not to do and also what will be handed to you. Because, you know, you can look at it as a gift, like one year from now. You know, will we have a you know a hundred sorry a million k token windows? Well, then maybe you shouldn't you know optimize for that. Maybe a year from now, uh, will you have uh, you know the cost being slashed another magnitude? Uh, you know, maybe you shouldn't focus on you know uh, cost optimization in terms of reducing tokens. Uh, mm. You know, latency and sorry speed of generation. Right, so GPT-4 Turbo, you know, like I don't know if it's 10x against GPT-4. We haven't like properly measured it, but maybe you know. But like, I at least feel that you know the speed of generation will not be kind of a sustainable kind of uh, unique selling point because mm. that will be available for everyone. Yes. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of my general frame, I think, of how to approach it, and then we can of course dive into the details of that. Like, where is the future going, and what are sustainable USBs. But uh, how do you view it? Do you think like similarly or do you have any any nuance there? No, that that's uh that's exactly how I think about it too. That you you should um trust that cost goes down, speed goes up, capacity for more data goes up. That's it's like gravity. Like uh you can trust that. So just like you said, you you shouldn't invest in it yourself. Don't like don't push the stone down; it will fall by itself. Yeah. And and don't invest in pushing it down. 
and uh, and um, so so and and also as an entrepreneur since since i with with what i'm building always have time to market i can trust by the time i get there ai will be cheaper and faster and that's also a way to to uh, build something that is a future proof if you build something which is actually not possible to launch at the moment because it requires too much speed too much compute it's too expensive to run then it will be unique when exactly when uh, if it's ready to be launched when when speed is high enough or cost is low enough or so that's a way to of future proofing what to do yeah that's actually interesting at the same time of course that could create a dependency right uh, in yeah. terms of like when that happens so yeah. um i mean I, I really agree with you especially if it's like what i want to build is requires that sort of step up in speed or or mm. decreasing cost but even before that with what has now what i'm building has value even if it's not you know mm. uh, as amazing as i imagine it to be uh, in the future um but yeah i agree i agree mm. if it's something like that just um many won't bet on now because the speed or cost isn't where it, where it needs to be then then that's mm. definitely like a way of approaching it and then the the other way the other uh, aspect is that some things can't be bought for money which is uh, like the, the 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 idea of a ui paradigm or the idea of of a service like and and the uh, you can you can uh, if you have enough money you can iterate uh, coming up with uh, with new ideas but if you have a uh, something to bet on which is more like a uh ui design uh kind of thing then then building a ui prototype for something new is probably something you can do on a small team with a very small budget and you don't have like to build a, a implement a prototype for a new ui paradigm which just sits on top of the entire ma- mass of innovation that goes on, uh, then then you can build something that is completely unique, and, and I think that's also like a worthwhile bet to do. And um, so, um, sort of to to zig when others zag, uh, just just go in in the other direction, in some in some important aspect of of what you're doing. And uh, as an AI industry, it's going so fast because it's extremely aligned. Everybody is working in the exact same decision, uh, direction with the same evals. Like we, everybody's evaluating the AI uh, models using the same libraries and so on. So uh, there's like ripe opportunity to do something that is not covered by by the, the standard benchmark that everyone else is using. Yeah, and I think that's like. Yeah, I think where we'll focus down today, but before we kind of focus in on, on UI, I think what else? We talked about speed and cost, right? And then we said mm-hmm. capacity a bit sort of uh, yeah. vaguely. Like, yeah. So like for me, like when I like, we actually had an on-site with the team and we were like, you know, mapping this out in terms of like, hey, what is likely to happen and, and what is what, what shouldn't we, you know, build ourselves, which I think is, is very important to sort of know as a startup. Yeah. Uh, and apart from like cost going down, speed going up, 
context window size going up so you can give more information to to the ai uh, whether it's you know directly in the prompt or via you know retrieval like basically you know putting it in a, in a vector database and allowing the ai to search it and uh, then i also think like the intelligence of the systems is likely to go up we haven't really seen a step up since gpt4 in reasoning capability you could argue that claude is better has a better literary capacity so there are like niches where you know maybe you know specific intelligence will will like it's um it's definitely like increasing uh, but i would still bet on like intelligence to go up that's the whole bet mm. of like open ai and that's been true so far right and they are working on gpt5 is, is at least what people say uh, mm -hmm. and then like capabilities both in terms of modalities like so you know now we have you know text image voice really getting there video i think is going to be something you know that's that's you know widely available via api video generation uh, and of course video through text etc uh, and then you know code is already there so that's maybe you know text with one specific format of it and you know with with the code interpreter in, in the assistants and the gpts that OpenAI uh, provides uh, you know it can execute python code for you in order to solve a problem and then of course the functions that it can actually utilize any function that you give it access to in order to solve solve the task at hand so i think like across all those dimensions uh, it is it is quite likely that the future will continue in that direction yeah and and that, of course, at least from my perspective, means that, uh, yeah, I'm not going to compete with OpenAI uh, in, in building those and, and the other kind of big players, Google, et cetera. Um, is there anything like I missed there? And how do you relate that to what actually is, you know, worth while investing in as a, as, you know, an entrepreneur within this space? No, I think that's a, that's a very, very good uh, summary that covers all, all of it. And, uh, and, uh, I also look at what, uh, in, in terms of what not to build, uh, of course, I look at what, what uh, all the other startups are building, like not only OpenAI, but what where there's a very crowded space. Like there's uh, at least 25 startups now building uh, uh, speech to text and, and text to speech, like 25 each. So that's obviously a very crowded niche. And uh, it's not like it's it's a niche where you definitely let those people compete to each, with each other and just buy the whatever is that the the top service if you need speech to text then buy it rather than build it and and so so not looking only at open ai and the big companies but also like what all other startups are are doing is worthwhile yeah i agree and and if we would generalize that today, right? When we just pre-chat a bit, mm. like like we both landed on UI, right? UI UX. So very like if you look at it as like you know, uh, on the top of a of a pyramid, right? We have the foundation. We have of course before that we have like all the cloud providers and all the devices and all the operating systems, right? And then we have these foundational models on AI, and then we have the ways that they are provided to you either directly from the kind of foundational model providers like OpenAI or, you know, with infrastructure layer in between. Mm. So that sort of moves where I see at least the most opportunity is, is at the top of the pyramid, which is close to the user. Uh, and, and then the question becomes, uh, you know, what type of, just relating to what you just said, like mm. what, uh, what is the top of the pyramid that 
the way that everyone is is approaching it now. Like if we look at the startups out there, how are they uh, approaching uh, you know UI UX uh, in, uh, in in this new landscape? Mm. And uh, yeah, um, I I think uh, um, one way of of um, uh, sorry, I, I think you have to repeat your question. I, I no, no, uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I meant that you know if if you would just like categorize how you look at the startups out there that yeah. are building applications for end yes. users, mm. uh, what like what do they have in common, and what does that tell us about? where uh, maybe not to focus at least if we mm. think from our perspective right yeah yeah so i i think like one one classification i do naturally is is the startups that just build thin wrappers on top of whatever is the latest uh, api that comes out and uh, and then the other uh, companies that that the other kind of startup that builds something that is uniquely uh, their own investment coming from an original idea, and, uh, and I think both have merit. I think the, the the companies that that build a thin wrapper on on existing AIs, they are also a huge driver of, of innovation. That they provide something uh, that that the industry needs. Like to see for everything, every new capability that is ex- is exposed by new AI model. What what can we do with that? That there is such a flurry of innovation in going on in like making the most out of the latest innovation is actually hugely valuable. It's not something for me to be in that space of just like do a quick uh, flip on something like a small idea. I want to invest for the long term. But uh, but on the other hand, like I, I really love that that uh, to see everything nice that comes out when there's a new opportunity. But um, um, I when when I was uh, sort of zoning out right now, I thought about the company we talked about last uh, episode, Find.com. How what they have built is actually straight up an assistant. Like it, the UI is exactly like just like an ex- assistant. But they are not rug pulled pulled by OpenAI's latest release because just because they have such a huge amount of data available for the assistant. They have like 200,000 open source project documentations uh, indexed with hundreds of pages in each project. So, and that's like millions of pages they have made available for their assistant. So another way of creating uniqueness is to to do exactly what OpenAI is doing with the GPTs, but just put, put in more data or more advanced functionality than than that than a GPT ever will have available. Yeah, I think that's actually like one way of, and this is maybe not where where we're focusing the most, you and I, but like that's like a niche approach for me. That's like, and that's that's where I think maybe thin wrapper or not. I mean, of course, the thinner the wrapper, the more easy it is for you know others to launch it, and the more competition you're going to have, right? And maybe the like lower lifespan your your product is going to have um but like for me that's a very good example of a product going all in on a niche the developers in this case and a problem they have which is you know figuring out how to build something and and then having an assistant that is you know the best at documentations they can 
find the right, I guess, library that they want to use and understand it and implement it and work with it the quickest. Uh, and there's others, you know, with across industries, there's like the co-pilot for legal, et cetera, right? Uh, where, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, the, the niche of the data set and the capability set uh, can really, you know, still provide value. So I think that's like one one category that is, uh, you know, definitely relevant uh, even going forward. Uh, but others, other than that, how would you like, is that like one bucket? Uh, do you like where, where and, and where there is opportunity, right? Uh, especially if you find something where uh, the market isn't saturated. Uh, and what, what else do you see? You know, like what are other buckets of opportunity? I think uh, uh, to create something unique within within a UI paradigm to really invest in, in UI is is really a ripe opportunity because then if you build something that has a very high user value uh, on the on the front end then the rest of the industry is going to build the back end for you it's going to your front end if it's flexible enough providing enough uh, value for for the user and, and uniqueness uh, then um, and and an extremely smooth user experience then the back end is going to be the rest of the AI industry for 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 your startup, and you're going to be able to cherry pick whatever you need to to keep increasing your user value while also investing in the smoothness of of your UI. So that's a, a for me is a really rich opportunity to 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 strive for. Yeah, and I think that's where we're both focusing, right? And mm. and I think like just to sort of, I mean, maybe put a frame at least in my mind. We're talking about kind of vertical niches now, legal coding, et cetera, right? With niche use cases for niche people, et cetera. Mm. And then you have kind of vertical opportunities. And there I really believe that, you know, still talking top of the pyramid, right? But if we cut it the other way, um, there's the horizontal opportunities. So if I would look at what's out there and what's provided by, you know, OpenAI and others, mm. it's the chat interface, right? Mm. And the chat interface is, I think, and, you know, with voice coming into it as well, uh, is, you know, a great interface for reactive kind of tasks. So that is, I want this now, I'll let it do it. Or I have, you know, I set up a specific assistant for something that, you know, I, I maybe want to do more than once, and then I ask it for it, and it can do it. Uh, but if we go from reactive to proactive and the step in between there that we're focusing on with multiply is as i've said before like it's workflows right it's something you want to do more than once and that has mm. some complexity and you want to use together as a team so if i would look at like chat it's single player reactive and next step along that line is or maybe there's two lines is like multiplayer and and you know a reusable in a sense yeah. where you have like workflows that are not just like a one-off instruction, but that are like more complex, uh, you know, setups that you want to do across an organization because organizations have a lot of like complex workflows. And then the step after that, which we're, you know, working towards is like a very proactive mm. uh, UI that, you know, sort of uh, doesn't wait for you to tell it what you want, but actually proactively comes up with, um, with, with things that are have value for you whether yeah. that's creating content or providing insights or uh, news or whatever. Uh, so mm -hmm. I think that's at least like, 
it's single player to multiplayer for me is like one big thing and then on the ui side it's really the journey from reactive one-off tasks to proactive already did it for you kind of tasks and then the yeah. ua ui question is around that right and i don't think the chat is the ui uh you know necessarily for a uh, at least for as, as we move along that that line yeah uh, how do you how do you think about it is that like yeah that that's definitely one one uh dimension to to uh, or rather two dimensions with the single player versus multiplayer and uh, that the reactive versus proactive and uh, if you take that to the like the, then there's uh there at the far end of both it's also the something that is completely unexplored so far in the industry which is AIs talking to AIs like a AI multiplayer scenario where multiple AIs um, like we have the the agent frameworks where you spin up multiple agents that talk to each other within a, a sandbox which have proven to 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 in some cases produce better results than a single agent agent just thinking by itself but what we haven't seen so far is sort of my proactive agent AI talking to your proactive agent AI, and they are having a conversation with each other, each with their own unique perspectives, and then coming up with something where, where they get back to us like individually with with their results of their interaction. Yeah, it's like um, proactively multiplayer, but all of that is like AI, and then yeah. going into the loop, right? Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah. So that that's something that we haven't seen any innovation in so far. It's it's a really old concept. I when I was in in university in in the nineties, ninety four to ninety nine, then we we had a course in a, agent frameworks, like agents talking to agents, and and then what they were doing where we had examples like um, uh, negotiating prices for something that they would buy and sell, which is actually what is has been going on for for. A couple of decades inside Google Ads ad engines, ad engine, uh, where you you can say sort of say that you have an agent working for you to ne- negotiate the best prices for your ads that you want to display, but um, but here like there or in the future rather there's a, there's an opportunity where I think that we're going to see more and more AIs actually talking to each other. Um, Maybe with natural language, so we can understand what they're saying with, for transparency and explainability, and then seeing the results of those interactions uh, play out in the real world. Yeah, and I think like I agree, and and I think one maybe one aspect is, I guess, the name of this podcast, right? Co-creating with AI, and I feel that's also like maybe one direction of. UI and it sort of goes maybe hand in hand with with the proactiveness. But I mean, if we just look inside Multiply, one reason that you know our um, customers appreciate us is that uh, it's not like just chat, produce this for me, and then comment to get it edited for you, and then you know oh, it's not really what I want, and like okay, then I copy paste it somewhere else, and then maybe I copy paste it back and say hey, make this more whatever. Um, but actually UI where I, me and the, the AI is working side by side, just like you and I would in a Google Doc if we're you know, trying to write a press release collaboratively and we can edit at the same time and give suggestions, et cetera. So I think that's also like one line of it where I think, I mean, chat is one way of co-creating with AI, right? But I really think there is in that um, 
in that you like in, in this new UI paradigm of you know intent based as we talked about in the previous episode like we you know you actually express your intent to the computer and it gives you something back I still think there's there's uh, you know a, a lot of innovation that's going to be beyond chat and for those who find uh, those you know sustainable kind of appreciated or unique appreciated UI as in 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 you know in this uh, there's defensibility uh, because that's not like where the foundational layer will will li- is likely to move like I'm I highly doubt that OpenAI will you know build their whole productivity suite I mean probably Microsoft will keep innovating on theirs powered by by OpenAI right but uh, but I'm not you know maybe microsoft isn't you know the biggest ui competitor even though they're amazing in other ways no yeah. and and not open ai either like they they are, will not win any design prizes on on the ui uh, side anytime soon because they are they are actually the experts of the thin wrapper around their own apis uh, they they build some something that is very rudimentary like the it's very useful extremely useful but the user value mostly comes from the back end and uh, and the UI is like a a, um, a a thin wrapper, just providing enough functionality to prove the value of, of their uh, backend technology. Yeah, I mean it's interesting. I had a, had lunch with uh, an old friend slash colleague of mine, who's a very very good designer, and who's you know of course is ever on exploring AI. And my kind of pitch to him was like, there is still no like um, design system for AI. There's like still no uh, like clearly like understood, uh, you know, I'm uh, sorry, clear understanding of the UI paradigm mm. uh, and and what different ways you can provide different capabilities. Whereas we we do have that in the web.2.0 era. We really have that. There are like really, they even ready-made design systems that provide you all the drop-downs, et cetera, et cetera. But, but for this new paradigm, I really think that a lot of you know the most amazing like new products the the new kind of billion dollar companies will really be you know ui innovations uh, but you know we'll see and of course you know across the stack there will be you know i mean huge opportunities right for those who pursue them but like for for most startups i really think that if you can figure out either like a niche that you can provide value in combination maybe or or horizontally with um like so vertical niche or horizontal niche as we discussed and then figuring out really the ui for that that makes that like so smooth and and especially if that takes user along these lines that we discussed with being able to work together with others together with ai and ai being proactive then i really think there's like uh, and of course that's a big ask but i really think like you can get really far by just the ui ux of it actually yeah. And uh, to to round off, because I think it's maybe it's time to round off. But what I another whole universe of opportunity exists in along the lines of uh, there's another thing you can turn upside down in AI uh, development, which is that every AI service being launched now is it has the screen as a window where. Me as a human, I'm in the classical world and the AI is on the other side and we build a UI into the world of AI, which I use from the classical world. And then 
to turn that upside down or, or inside out. So to, to build an AI that has an uh, that has an interface to the classical world where the AI is driving the interaction, is clicking the, the buttons and interacting with the classical world, like uh, booking hotel rooms through hotels.com and uh, and putting up job ads on Upwork. And that, that's also like a, a completely like different approach that has not been explored uh, in depth at all uh, so far. Yeah, it would be fun to actually talk about the way AR is moving in robotics in another episode and on top like on this topic, but but not today. I think this has been this has been fun, Martin. And yes. uh, yeah, I mean thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you, Rasmus, and thank you to the listener for being with us all the all the way to the end of this episode. And next time we'll talk about another aspect of co-creating with AI. Thank you so much.